American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. In 1773, when the Tea Act was passed, all those nascent political feelings bubbled up again. This time, however, the non-importation movement turned radical. In 1776, the Tea Act was passed. And in this, all those feelings that had been stirred up by the Townshend Acts came to a boil. This new kind of action, this new kind of movement would be much less well-behaved. It wouldn't just be a rejection of a particular kind of colonial relationship, but their entire colonial relationship itself. Tea was different than most of the other goods that had been taxed before. It could not be made in America. And unlike things like very fancy cloth, it was something that everybody had. Now everyone was drinking tea. And so it struck at every strata of, of American colonial society. And so tea became something that could radicalize and touch the lives of all American colonists. And so the non-importation movement became a non-consumption movement. Tea went from being a symbol of evil to being evil in and of itself. An evil that was seen as the corruption of all those free rights and liberties of Englishmen. The British government began to be seen not as just a, a power, but a corrupt power that was abridging the rights of the Glorious Revolution. When the Tea Act was passed in 1773, it was a resumption of everything they had fought against under the Townshend Acts. But it was something different too. It was a sign not only of a corrupt crown seeking to shore up its finances, but also a corrupt East India Company. The Crown passed the Tea Act uh, to help placate the shaky finances of the company that brought tea from the East Indies, hence its name, the East India Company, to Britain and there from Britain to the colonies. Under the Tea Act, they could move directly from the East Indies to the colonies where the taxes would be paid. Taxes that the colonists had never themselves paid before and were now aware that they were paying money directly to the crown to support a corporation. For them, this was a new sign of the despotism of the crown, privileging the rights of the British crown and of British corporations over that of the colonists. The groups that had protested against the earlier acts now resumed their activities. For instance, the Sons of Liberty of Boston reemerged to protest what they saw as the abridgment of their freedoms. The Sons of Liberty sought to safeguard our posterity, those blessings of freedom which our ancestors have handed down to us. Groups like this protested the Tea Act in all the ports, in Charleston, in Savannah, in Baltimore, and in most places, the protests did not turn violent. That was not the case in Boston. In Boston, 5,000 men and women swarmed the ports, overwhelming the authorities, seizing 342 chests of tea on an East India Company boat. And then, instead of just turning the boat around, as had happened in other ports, 
they dumped the chests of tea into the harbor. This tea party marked a radicalization, an active defilement of private property. It wasn't simply a refusal to buy, but a destruction of private property, of one of Britain's largest enterprises, the East India Company. It was an infringement on private property that could not be ignored by the authorities. Unlike before, this experience of the Tea Act and the victimization of Boston at the hands of the Crown overcame the differences between all those cultures, all those religions, all those identities across the many colonies. Tea had become a site of solidarity, a site of commonality, of a new kind of politics, a politics that now turned from non-importation to non-consumption. And it's in the Tea Party that we can see the stirrings of the American Revolution. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Thank you.